With no incumbent in sight, there's a wide-open election this year for Secretary of State, and Jay Ashcroft thinks he's the man for the job. The Republican joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, eight, seven, six, six five, five, four, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair That's to say. I say hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Joe Manis. And our very special guest for this particular Political Speaking Podcast. That was a tongue twister. We have in studio... Jay Ashcroft. Thanks for having me. He is yeah. a candidate for Secretary of State. He's a Republican and his mother bakes the most delicious cookies <laughs> I can. I think I've had in a long time. I, I did have one at Lincoln Days, I must confess, although I did have a piece of candy from Will Krause's booth as well, so <laughs> it was fair and balanced. Uh, I think I've, I've said too much. Uh, welcome to the show. First time you've been here. I, we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's wonderful to get down here and discuss uh, politics and what's going on with our government with you. Yes, and we will do that. In the very first, very beginning, we often ask our our guests to tell a little bit about themselves, how they got involved in politics, where they live, not the exact address, just generally speaking, and and just sort of giving um, the listener a sense of who you are, especially for first-time guests. We think that's very helpful. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I, uh, as most people will know if they've been at all involved in Missouri politics, I grew up in politics with my father. And I was that 16 or 17-year-old kid that said, I'm not going to go into politics. I've seen what it's like. I'm not going to be an attorney. I'm going to get a real job. And uh, graduated from, uh, at the time, was University of missouri Rollins, now Missouri Science and Technology. Uh, have a couple of engineering degrees from there. Went to work in the defense industry down in Howell County. Then got transferred up to St. Louis. Uh, the contract ended. I taught mechanical engineering for uh, six years at the community college system as a professor there. And then uh, I got married. My wife said she wanted to go to law school, so I went to law school with her because I thought she'd take good notes, and it was a, she was a very studious individual. And um, really just wanted to concentrate on being a good husband to my wife, and then we had some kids, our first child, while we were in law school. We now have four, David, Samuel, Elise, and uh, Benjamin. Shout out to all four of those those <laughs> great kids, by the way. Continue. Yeah, David actually got to be on the radio down in uh, Jefferson City. I won't mention the station uh, for filing day, which was a blast to do that with my son. <laughs> the magic of radio just entrenches okay. everybody. <laughs> now, now, just so our listeners know, I, I would think most of you know, but uh, Jay Ashcroft is the son of John Ashcroft, who's the former state auditor, attorney general, governor, U.S. Senator, uh, U.S. Attorney General. Yeah, putting all of his titles in one line takes about 30 words because he's done so much for this country and this state. I I would just say, I was thinking, I think I said this on the last show, that uh, even though he ran a couple of times early on his career was unsuccessful, your father ended up being one of the most, if not the most, successful Republican elected officials ever from Missouri. No other Republican has won two consecutive terms in office. So I'm, I'm curious, be, because he has had left a pretty large mark on this state, what did you kind of see growing up him being involved in politics that you're kind of bringing into your campaigns now? Well, I mean, I think there are a couple of things. One is that when people talk to him today, they say, what should we call you? Should we call you general? Should we call you governor? And he has the humility to say, you know what, I'm not in politics. I'm happy to just be John and be a person instead of a position. 
And I think we've lost that with a lot of officials in government and politics now. They're worried about position. They're worried about power, their their pension. And they don't realize that that serving in an office like that, that's a privilege and a gift that's bestowed by the people of the state. You never truly earn it. You can never deserve it. It's an honor. And that's probably the most important thing that I think anyone that gets into politics needs to know, that it really should be about serving the people of the state and allowing them to live their lives to the best that they can. Now, key side question. Do you sing or do you play the piano, which is two things that your dad used to do during these I do sing. My voice is a little raw from doing all the Lincoln days that I did uh, in the past couple days. Uh, I play the piano a little bit, but not as well as dad does. Uh, Do you guys ever do any duos? No, but we're happy to sing together. Many times when we're driving down the road, we'll really? throw in a Southern Gospel CD, the Gaithers or the Tallies or somebody yeah. like that, and we just sing some of the, some of those old Southern Gospel songs or hymns that we learned in church. And Let the Eagle Soar as well. That's his number one hit, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> well, you know, he's uh, really proud. There was a movie that just came out, The Big Short, mm-hmm. where that that uh, music was used in the background of yes. that movie. Yes, And, um, you know, the thrilling thing for Dad was not only that they used his song, but there were royalties from I was going to say. Well, no, you're going the wrong direction oh. there. He actually has donated all the royalties oh. for his music to Evangel University down oh, okay. in Springfield. Yeah. Okay. So he was really pleased that not only did it get used, but it was something that he had done that could help benefit I was going to say, I, as much as I'm sure he got, could have gotten very wealthy off that particular song, my assumption was he probably took the royalties and donated it to a worthy worthy cause, as, as you just mentioned. So. Yeah, he's always had a heart for Evangel, and really just for students in general, this idea of training up leaders and transferring values from one generation to the next. So is that, I mean, what sort of drove you to decide after... You know, you've gone to engineering school, law school, you know, married with kids that you're, you're like, well, you know, I think I'm going to go into politics, too. <laughs> I mean, was there a th- particular thing? I mean, because you did run for uh, uh, the state Senate two years ago. You lost. But many politicians have told me they lose more. They learn more from their losses. Well, thank you so. for reminding me. No, um, <laughs> you know, it really came down to I felt like as a father I needed to make sure that I was training my children to be the best that they could be and giving them the right upbringing. And I had focused so much on that that I I, I felt like I wasn't concerned enough with the world outside because the day is going to come and it's far closer than I want to admit. My oldest son turns 10, so we're talking eight years after that he's in college. And what is the world going to look like when he graduates and looks for a job? Growing up, you knew that if if you worked hard and kept your nose clean, you'd have opportunity. And in America, every generation has had more opportunity than a generation before. And that's because we've had people that have gone before us that have fought to ensure that would remain true. And I realized that although I was worried about my kids, I was coasting on the work and the efforts and the blood, sweat, and tears, if you will, of the people that have gone before me. And I needed to make sure that that blessing of increased opportunity for every generation was not only true for my children and their generation, but for future generations. So the the race that Joe was talking about was the 24th District Senate race. It was probably the most competitive legislative race <laughs> in the country. So what a debut that you had. Not only did you have to face a general, you actually had to win a primary that yes. was pretty competitive. And it was also extremely expensive, the whole contest. So what, what do you think... What, what was your experience in that race? Why do you think you 
were unsuccessful? I mean, I have my own theories, but I'd like to ask you first. Well, I mean, I guess the silly response is the, my, my opponent got more votes than well, I Well, that is true. <laughs> that is true. But you know, it, was, it was a district that's a heavily Democrat district. Mm-hmm. Um, so right there, it's not exactly a race where you're going to say that Republicans have a good opportunity. The, the incumbent state senator there, who was a fine individual, had decided not to run for re-election. That and was th- John Lamping. Yes. And, um, you know, most people thought that the Republicans didn't have a chance there. And I just felt I believe so uh, to the core of my being that we need a government that encourages and enhances personal freedom and individual liberty. Regardless of where you stand on other issues, we need to strive to allow people to live their lives the way they want to as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. I call it my kindergarten approach to government because that's how people are most successful. And I, I looked at who was running and said, we need individuals that understand that and will promote that message to make sure that everyone can be the best they can be. And I think it was worthwhile. I, uh, I think my opponent got 50.1% of the vote. Mm-hmm. I think she spent about $1.8 million. We spent $1.2 million, which is real money even for Jefferson City, I think. Yeah. So is there was there a takeaway that you learned from that race that you've use now as you're running for Missouri Secretary of State? You know, I just think it instilled in me the understanding that you have to always do your best and that things that are of lasting importance are not done easily. They are not accomplished without effort, but they need to be done and good people need to do them. I was just going to say in your your answer to my question, yes, the 24th District was Democratic leaning. Jill Shoup had been running, I think, longer than you had. Yes. I think that by many respects, she had raised a lot of money. Um, you know, her views on issues maybe were more in line with people. But, you know, it's good experience for you to run in a statewide contest because state Senate races are especially competitive ones are almost becoming like mini congressional races where you learn a lot of things. So, you know, sometimes going through the experience can be helpful in your in your other experiences, essentially. It's a fun little factoid. I was actually at her announcement uh, party that she had. I wasn't part of that party, but I was at the same location meeting some friends at the local establishment. So it's just, it's, it's amazing how small Ser- world it is. Serendipity. Sometimes. But let's talk about 2016. You're in the race for Republican Secretary of State. You are facing a primary again against Senator Will Krause, a Republican from Lee Summit. What kind of prompted you to get into this particular contest for an office that Joe and I and many other people in Missouri state government know is probably one of the more important statewide offices. You know, I think it it comes back really to the same reasons I got involved in the state Senate race is I have what I believe is a a different outlook on what the role of government is than a lot of people that run, even people that run as Republicans. I think we have far too many people that go to Jefferson City to tell everyone else how to live their life. And when the government tries to run every aspect of your life, it gets in the way of you being able to take advantage of opportunities and live your life in the most fulfilling way for you. And I think we need individuals that understand that as long as you're not hurting someone else, government ought to be staying out of your way and allowing you to live your life. We can have philosophical differences personally. You know, I sometimes talk about, you know, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan. And I think everyone ought to be a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Greatest team to play baseball in I'm a in Chicago history. White Sox fan, by the way. But you Well, know. you know, not everyone's smart enough to be a Cardinals <laughs> fan. I understand that. Understood. <laughs> but I don't think government should force you to be a Cardinals fan. Right. And I think that we lose that understanding, that the role of government is one thing, and what we may have our personal preference on issues is a different thing. Now, how would you implement some of that when you're dealing with the Secretary of State's office, which, uh, as Jason noted, is one of the more actually one of the more powerful statewide offices it's got it oversees not just elections but the secretary of state 
um, oversees like the state archives, the right. Secretary of State. Um, oversees a lot of the state's business uh, monitoring. Securities regulation, yes. state libraries, notaries yeah. are all under that. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a variety of different things that um, the Secretary of State's uh, responsible for. So, I mean, how would that general philosophy be implemented in a concrete way in Secretary of State? I mean, how would you change what's being done now? Well, I think the easiest thing to look at is elections. You know, we have partisan elections, and I think that's good because we have people with different ideas that are discussing the pros and cons of those. And we hope that if we have a lot of people discussing that, we'll come out with the best option, which you don't get if you just have one person. But we need to have, although we have partisan elections, we need to have nonpartisan administration of elections. I think it is vitally important that we have a secretary of state that stands up for the proposition that elections aren't about getting the Secretary of State's will done. They're not about getting the will of the Secretary of State's party. They're about allowing the will of the people to be made known. I mean, that's what elections are. It's the most important thing that government does. It's more important than roads and bridges. It's more important than education. It's where we, the people, consent to be governed, choose who will govern us, and give direction to them. So we need to make sure that every eligible voter has the right opportunity to vote. You all know two years ago we had polling places that were turning people away in the St. Louis area because they were ran out of paper ballots. That's ridiculous. We need to make sure that people know that their vote will count. They won't be disenfranchised by fraud or ineptitude. That's why I drafted the constitutional amendment to allow a photo ID requirement. Yeah, Just to, go ahead. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that because I think that's one of the things that got you some, some notice that you're pushing a photo ID amendment. Now, uh, it's a government-issued photo ID. So, right. I mean, just, uh, just so our listeners know. So, as many people know who follow Missouri politics, ballot initiatives are very expensive. You often need a lot of money to get signatures for initiatives. For a lot of volunteers. So, what kind of prompted you to undertake that effort, and how is it going so far as far as signature collecting and trying to actually get it on the ballot? I think it's, well, why it prompted me, because I saw it was something that needed to be done. It's something that our legislature had been working on for about nine years. Now this is the 10th year of working on that. And they haven't been able to successfully get it on the ballot and get it approved. Um, it helps being an attorney, having that understanding of the law. I was able to look at the language and make it better. Uh, the language that they were looking at for the constitutional amendment would only have applied to in-person voting. Um, and I think Joe and I have talked about this before, this amendment would allow it to be uh, to have identification requirements for absentee ballots because that's the easiest way for people to cheat. Yeah, actually, that's true. Go ahead. Um, so, I, you know, that's why I did it is because it needed to be done. How are we doing? I think we're doing really well. If you if you watch what happened in the legislative session, uh, Representative Duggar uh, put forth the language that I had proposed last May. It was passed by the House. Representative Alferman, I think, did a really good job with the statutory enabling legislation to make sure that if you don't have a photo ID, you still get to vote. It's a provisional ballot, and you can go back and confirm your identity. If you know beforehand you're not going to have an ID, you can request a free ID from the state, and it will be provided. Um, if you're above a certain age, obviously, you don't need that. So I think we've, we've, we have a good process both on the statutory and the constitutional side. The House passed that with a little bit of pushing, I think, from everybody that's been collecting signatures and the stacks of petitions I have around my office and at home. And now we're just waiting on the Senate to, to move that forward. It's on the floor of the Senate. And we're just looking for one senator to stand up and say, let's let the people vote. Now, Krauss has posed it as, because I, I just talked to him about this last weekend at Lincoln Days. He said, well, 
Well, he supports, he does support uh, the government-issued photo ID, but, but he said actually the amendment, legislative, me- legislative language that is before the General Assembly, he says, well, that was put in place before your amendment, so he thought it was somewhat inaccurate for you to imply that they were modeling you when he thought you were modeling them. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> so is there anything you want to say about that? Um, a couple of things. One, as an attorney, I understand how important. Well, let me let me just set the record as completely straight as possible. Okay. I took two words out of the out of the amendment as to how it had been done. Um, as an attorney, I can tell you that those two words meant the difference between something that could apply to absentee ballots and in-person voting, or just to in-person. You mean voting. two words? Your so your your amendment has two words different than what. Yes. Is, is before the General Assembly, is what you're saying. No, it was two words different than what Senator Stouffer had okay. put forward in 2011. Okay. I didn't realize that at the time, but I went back to check since, since he was unhappy with what I was saying. Um, but it took out some words so that it would, could apply both to absentee ballots and in-person ballots. You know, maybe it's just because I'm an attorney and I understand uh-huh. how the law is written and how it's interpreted and what it means. But I think it's vitally important that we protect both in-person and absentee. And if it takes me to take two words or one word to protect people's freedom and liberty, I'm going to do that. That's not the sort of thing we should overlook. Now, I want to just ask you more from the policy side, because one of the reasons it hasn't passed through the legislature, it often gets filibustered in the Senate by Democrats who oppose it. And I'll just kind of tick through their contentions that you can respond to. They they argue that government issued photo ID requirements are make it harder for elderly people, poor people of all races to vote because they often don't have photo issued IDs. Yeah, because I mean their contention is directed in part at the fact that it would be just so so limited. It's really only about three or about four, I think, uh, types of ID. Mainly be a driver's license, a passport. Um, a, a a military veterans, and um, there's been some talk of s- something with the congressional IDs, maybe. Yeah. But that isn't isn't that about it? Yeah, I, I, I mean it's very I'm, limited. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I would like you to respond to that contention because right. that's going to be brought up a lot during this race. Right. Well, you know there there are a lot of things that are brought up that just aren't true. And and before we continue on that, I'd like to point out that one of the reasons that the the, the, the other party is against this is that in the minority leadership of the legislature, you have a state representative that, if you look at the evidence, I'm sure you'll agree, was elected based on voter fraud. Representative Rizzo out of the Kansas City area, I believe, won his primary by one vote. Since then, I believe it's three members of his family have admitted to vote fraud in that election. Now, Maybe I'm uh, hypothesizing or assuming too much when I'm guessing that his mom and dad and other family members voted for him. But I think it's pretty clear to see that there are individuals in the legislature on the other side that want vote fraud to occur because that's how they have their position. And he's now running for state senate. Now, to get back to the idea of, of this is uh, somehow a, a problem for elderly voters or, or the poor or individuals of, 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 of less means, that's just not true. We have in place with Representative Alferman's legislation cutoffs. If you're above a certain age, you don't need an ID. But even if you need an ID and you don't have the means or for whatever reason you don't have one, the legislation provides for the state to give you one for free. Think about that. If there really are a lot of people that don't have IDs, and being an engineer, I like to look at the numbers, 
I, I do better with equations than I do with sentences. The, the, the data hasn't borne that out in other states that have done this. But if there are people that don't have IDs. You mean photo IDs. Let's, yeah, photo yeah, IDs. Yeah, that are let's make, but yeah. I mean, think of all the places where you have to have a photo ID. If, if there are people that don't have those, we're bringing them more closely into society and allowing them to participate in areas that they've been locked out of. Not just doing that, but we're also protecting their vote. It's a win-win. Now, one of the provisions I know, <clears throat> okay, just so our listeners know, this is actually a two-prong process. They have to have a proposed constitutional amendment on the ballot. Then there's a separate piece of legislation that is the implementation, which would get into the nitty-gritty, some of which we've been talking about. But <clears throat> the estimate, there have been estimates that it could cost the state up to $3 million a year <laughs> to provide... I mean, to provide the free IDs to people who lack them. And it also says that this is going to be enforced only if the legislature allocates the money every year. Right. I'm just interested in your thoughts. I mean, do you think it's going to be a lot less? I'm just interested in your thoughts about the implementation. It's a great point you bring up. There is no requirement unless the state provides free IDs. You never hear the other side say that. Think about that. Secondly, if you look at other states that have, uh, have done this, we were told in Kansas there were several hundred thousand people that couldn't get a photo ID. They would be disenfranchised and couldn't vote. In 2012, I believe it was from January to September, I don't remember if it was January 1st or January 30th, big election in November of 2012. Mm -hmm. They had, I believe, 150 people request IDs. Now, as wasteful as our government can be, I'm not sure how you go from providing 150, let's double that, 300 IDs, and say that costs $3 million. And I will go beyond that. If it does cost us $3 million to make sure that when you go to vote, your vote counts, that's worth it. That's money well spent. The idea that the opposition party is saying, well, we can't spend a million or two dollars to make sure that the people's voice is heard. That's the most important thing we should be doing. Now, you mentioned the situation with Representative Rizzo, which people can Google and find out more. But I think that beyond that particular example, one of the other contentions that Democrats put forward is that there's not widespread examples of voter impersonation fraud. Now, and that a lot of it's more absentee. I mean, absentee or maybe voter registration issues. So, yes. again, this is sort of playing devil's advocate. How would you respond to that? Contention? Well, absentee ballot fraud goes hand in hand with over registration because Correct. And, and, and please, for those of you that are recording this to use it against me, do not cheat. But if you were going to cheat, you would use absentee ballots. You exactly. Would get a list of the people that have not voted before. That's the easiest way to do it in large quantity. And you would vote in their name. But getting back to the in-person at the polling location problems, that does occur. And we have no way to know how often it occurs unless the individual is really stupid when they do it. I mean, we do have occasions uh, during the presidential election in 12, we had a lady that went into work, worked at her lunch hour. She, she went over to the polling place and went to vote. Someone had already signed her name. It wasn't that they had signed their name in the wrong spot. Someone had voted in her name. Well, that's voter, that's impersonation. You should never get caught doing that because if you're smart, you pick someone that never votes and you vote in their name. The photo ID is a way to make it harder to do that. And what people don't realize is, A, as I've traveled this state, nobody says they want their vote to not count. And B, how do you remediate vote fraud? You don't know who they voted for. 
once you allow it to happen, it changes the election and you can't change it back easily at all. You have to be very aggressive on the front end to stop fraudulent votes because once they get into the ballot box, how do you know whose vote it was? Now, do you think there's going to, I mean, what sort of protections would you guard against as far as fake IDs? I mean, as many of us know, you know, I mean, teenagers and uh, young adults have been doing that for eons to get to get alcohol. And, and I can just say for full disclosure, I never had a fake ID. But continue. Well, I, 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 you may have had a more colorful adolescence <laughs> than I did, Joe. Um, yeah, that's, that's another potential problem. Um, photo ID is not the silver bullet that will stop the rise of the oceans and solve every problem that we have. It's just a very simple, common sense way to make it more difficult. You know, if, if you have someone that's going to do a couple thousand of absentee ballot fraud now, it's easy. If you have to do photo ID and the restrictions that we put on with that, it makes it far more difficult. As an engineer, I don't think we ought to just do something and stop. I think we always need to be looking at how we can do things better, looking at what we changed and did it actually have the effects we wanted it to. And so we'll continue looking at this, but it's just a it's a first step. Now, before we get into kind of the political machinations of your race, there are other duties besides elections yes. in the Secretary of which State's office, mentioned. which we mentioned. I would, I'm just curious if there's anything in particular besides in the election sphere that you would want to institute into the Secretary of State's office. You know, one of the things that I'd really like to look at that I don't think people realize is how much personal data the Secretary of State's office has. Um, Obviously, there's some that's historical that people use for genealogy based on the archives. Um, But one of the things that I've done as an attorney is I've done a lot of work in the areas of of personal privacy and Mm -hmm. data protection. It, It kind of works alongside with my engineering background. And I have Uh, several certifications from the International Association of Privacy Professionals. And one of the first things I'd like to do when I go in there is look at exactly how they're safeguarding your data and exactly how they're using it. We've had problems where the state of Missouri has been inappropriately and illegally disclosing private information of the citizens to the federal government and in other areas where it just should not happen. And, And the citizens of the state should know that when they interface with the Secretary of State's office, we will take them seriously and we will deal with their information in the most proper way possible. Now, going to the political aspect of running for this office, there is another Republican candidate running. Filing has not ended yet. We don't know if there'll be six other Republicans. <laughs> but right, well, we had it. We interviewed Senator Krause about a year ago after he announced for Secretary of State. Again, he's a Republican from Lee's Summit. He's been in the Senate now, I think, for about six years. He has a military background that could be very intriguing for voters from a biographical standpoint. Why do you feel like you're a better candidate to represent the Republican Party in this well, race than him? Well, I, you know, I, I don't want in any way to emulate some of the presidential debates we've had where I don't think that our candidates on both sides have looked very presidential. So I, I prefer to talk about my myself and what I think I bring to the table and how I think that helps us to move the Secretary of State's office forward and the opportunity for the people of the state of Missouri. Um, you know, I'm an engineer. I spent... 10 years really either in the defense industry working, uh, running an assembly line or at, at the college through the college system teaching students and overseeing faculty on, on the uh, academic uh, council that I, that I chaired there. I think it's very important to have someone with the mindset of, yes, we have a constitutional values that we need to faithfully adhere to, but how can we do things better? How can we move the Secretary of State's office forward, be more technologically savvy, and use that to be more customer service-based? I think far too often we uh, we, we lose that understanding that we serve the people in office. And that's one of the reasons why I've campaigned in all 114 counties of the state is 
you know, some of those counties aren't where you go if you want to win a Republican primary. But if you want to govern, you have to listen to them and you have to be there for them. So you've, so made, made, it to all, you've made it to all 114 now? Yeah, I did that between March 4th and December 4th of last year. Yeah, and we're on our that. second go around. So how was Shiler County? <laughs> it was good. It was a beautiful day. It was, uh, I believe I was in Schuyler County in November mm-hmm. up on the, the northern border there. Uh, but it was good. It was great to talk to people. It's not not as good as Davies County or Dade County, but <laughs> I'll, I'll let others uh, spark an inter-county war. Not, not it was our down in Dade era. County Saturday. Yes, I did know that because <laughs> there were many Lincoln Days in southwest Missouri. Going to, if you are the nominee, right now the only Democratic candidate is Robin Smith, a former TV I mean, broadcaster. The, the only well-known. Only, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I think I don't know if anyone else has filed. Well, Maybe. I hear there's another big name that filed. Which one? Uh, Bill Clinton, someone. I'm yes. not sure. Yes, Bill Clinton Young, <laughs> which is a perennial candidate from Kansas City, yes. and I'm wondering about that. Yeah, but anyways, my my question is, if you are the nominee, it's an open seat. Oftentimes, open races are very unpredictable. They get expensive, but you know. When we're talking about down-ballot contests, oftentimes the presidential and the U.S. Senate and the gubernatorial races have a lot of impact on the results. Just look at 2012, 2008, 2004. How do you think you'll be able to stand out um, in in what's going to be a crowded ballot and make sure you get your message across? Well, I just think I continue to do the same thing that I've been doing. I get out to the people. I let them know where I stand and why I, st- and why, why I stand for those issues. I let them listen, to ask me questions and, and uh, probe me, kick my tires, if you will. But I just think it's important that we have, you know, look at my background. I have an engineering degree, which I think is something we could definitely use in government. I'm an attorney. I understand how to write the law and how ballot language should be done. I have the privacy certifications that I think are very important in that office. I'm just going to get out and run my race and let people know where I stand. And I think people are looking for, for government officials that understand the greatness of the state is in the people and not in the officials. And just by the way, for our listeners, as of 10.53 a.m. on Monday, yes, Bill Clinton, Young, and Robin Smith are the only two Democratic candidates. <laughs> now, uh, when you're traveling around the state, I know you're probably at a lot of the local Lincoln Days and yes. some of the other events. Is there anything particular that people bring up to you when they talk to you? You, the thing that I happen that I hear over and over again is they just want government to leave them alone. They know how to work with their local school district to make sure that their kids are well educated. They know how to start or work at businesses. They understand the needs of their community and how their county's money should be spent for transportation or education or other things. And they just wish that Jefferson City would quit passing laws that cause them trouble. Now, um, at, at the Lincoln Days in St. Louis, your your dad and your mom were there. Are they going to be constant fixtures on the campaign trail? Because he seems very enthused about making sure that you're elected at this point. You know, I, th- they'll be around at different times. Obviously, they have other things that they're doing, but um, they were very excited. It was kind of funny. My, my mother spent about five minutes extolling my virtues when I told her I was running, and then she asked to speak to my wife and spent 10 minutes asking her why she was crazy enough to allow her husband to get into <laughs> politics. Well, well, she would she would know because she was in politics for a long time. But um, it, the reason I ask is, you know, the Ashcroft name is a known quantity, especially among conservative voters, especially in southwest Missouri, where I guess your father is from. So it, it could be especially helpful in a Republican primary and maybe the general. It definitely doesn't hurt at, in many respects. But just seeing them in person probably doesn't hurt either, given 
his his place in Missouri GOP history. So well, I just enjoy the opportunity to spend the time with him, and it, it probably is better to have the Ashcroft last name in other parts of the state than the 24th district. I was That's just going to sure. say, we're, we're going to leave it at that because— Yeah, he said it. You, he said it, not me. Thank you so much for coming in today. We, we look forward to following this race. It is, without any sarcasm or snark, one of the more important statewide races because of how many people it touches. So we'll be circling back with all the candidates pretty soon. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And we can follow you on Twitter at? At Jay Ashcroft Moe, or the website is ashcroftfromissouri.com. Thank you very much, as always. And until next time, so long.